Hi, thanks for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. Each week, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage. Thank you for joining me. This week, I am talking with Adam Stofsky, founder and CEO of Briefly. Briefly is a content creation and education company that specializes in making complex legal and financial topics accessible to everyone. I wanted to invite Adam onto the show to talk about his work with Briefly and his path to creating Briefly because what they're doing at Briefly, and it's still a really young company, has such an important and practical implication for nonprofits generally and social impact nonprofits and social justice nonprofits in particular. So I've known Adam for close to 20 years and I've been such an admirer of his work. He's the founder originally of an incredible nonprofit called the New Media Advocacy Project that helped to pioneer the use of video and other media techniques as tools for centering the stories and experiences of people impacted by international and domestic human rights violations and really shifting the power to fight for real change as part of advocacy efforts from being solely in the hands of lawyers to being held and wielded by people who are most directly impacted. It's a really incredible um, set of work and projects that they did at the New Media Advocacy Project and it really informs a lot of what he has brought into Briefly. In the past year in particular, there's been a real increased focus in earnest, not just talk, which is good, on the importance of making sure that people who are most directly impacted by experiences and issues are an authentic and meaningful part of addressing those issues. And there are so many ways to go about doing that. One of the most powerful is actually also one of the simplest. Make sure that people have the information, the information they need to participate in the process of advocating for themselves, to make informed and smart choices, and to tell their own stories. And at its core, that is what Briefly helps nonprofits do. I'll let Adam get into the details in our conversation because he, he does it really well. But suffice it to say here that Briefly gives nonprofits and legal service providers the tools they need to make complex legal issues facing their constituents and sometimes their own staff simple. From helping organizations break down the intricacies of domestic violence law for community members, to helping nonprofit lawyers translate arcane areas of law for their clients, to helping social enterprise founders understand and explain to their staff the laws surrounding hiring or HR or contracts, and briefly does it using the power of video and video content. So that's what I'll say for now. Our conversation is great. Adam and I always have a great time talking with one another. He talks about the roots of his work in the human rights work that he did for years. He talks about the emotional toll of bearing witness to the experiences of others. And he talks about the power of video ultimately to democratize legal information, which we both agree is super important. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. 
Hey, Adam, how are you? Good. How are you, Brooke? Good. I'm so excited. We're finally having one of our many conversations on the air, so to speak. <laughs> so I want to start off not talking about briefly, actually. I would really love to start off talking about you and um, how you came to be doing this work with Briefly. You have such a fascinating professional sort of story and set of journeys that all have led here. And I think they really help inform what you're trying to do with Briefly. So tell us a little bit about how you came to be doing this work. <laughs> with the long version or the short version? The long version well, is the long so version. Okay. interesting. The medium yeah. version. <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny, like looking back, look, I mean, law school was a long time ago now, kind of like yeah. never could have imagined this path. I think, I think in some ways this, this whole thing came out of me being like not a very good lawyer. <laughs> no, you were a fantastic lawyer. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, um, so briefly is a, we're a social enterprise whose mission is to make legal information more accessible. We're sort of almost like a, a you know, SaaS startup meets creative agency focused on law. We pull a lot of threads together. And I think, you know, I was in law school and and um, even in my first year, you know, Brooke and I were in, in law school together. I sort of like, I love law school. I didn't go to law school expecting to like law school, but it was like, hey, wow, this is really interesting. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah. But like, it's like a bit samey, like a lot of the classes, especially in the first year, kind of the same. I, <laughs> it's, all right. it's pretty samey. Yeah. A lot of like, reading cases and like studying for these ridiculous exams. Talking about things that are never going to apply to real life. Yeah, exactly. So I, I needed a creative outlet of some kind. So I grabbed a video camera. Okay. This shows how old we are. So I got like, this was like well before YouTube or before really any online video. And before your phone could also be a video camera oh, or a camera. Totally. That was, it was, this was the innovation there was that you could, they had non-linear video editing, so you could edit video on your laptop. Final Cut Pro had like kind of just come out, right? Which was like mind-blowing for people. Yeah. Yeah. People were stuck on these sort of editing on Avid with these big desktops, something you could, you know, kind of edit on the go. So I was going to Nigeria my one all summer to do a human rights fellowship. That's why I went to law school was to do human rights work. And I I brought this video camera with me to Lagos. The idea was I would like document my own experience as this like guy from Brooklyn going to Lagos, Nigeria shortly after the, the dictatorship there fell. Um, I didn't do that. That would have been very narcissistic and kind of not very interesting. Instead, I say, just to pause for one moment, knowing you as well as I do, even how you articulated that project, I'm like, that doesn't sound like you at all. No, why would anyone want to watch that? But, <laughs> you know, I was working on these huge forced eviction cases, right? These are like, this is a practice that the the Nigerian dictatorship had in the 80s and 90s of essentially just like clearing these huge slum communities in uh, a huge scale. And so I was working with a group of um, 300,000 people that had been evicted from their homes near Lagos. And my job was to like write a human rights report on essentially like there was a new legal theory as, as to why their rights were being violated. And so I was doing that. And then, you know, one day I said, I'm going to interview my, my client who was like this amazing community leader. And he was incredible on camera. I linked up with some local Nigerian journalists and they kind of like taught me how to shoot better interviews. It was really fun hanging out with these guys. And they've had this really, really vibrant independent media in, in Lagos and a lot of great shooters. And so I learned how to do it. And I just did it while I was there. I ended up with like about 40 hours of footage wow. and pitched to my boss. I was like, hey, why don't we, who is this really great human rights? Say, hey, why don't we, um, let's make a movie. Let's like pressure the government to, to settle this case instead of writing another report that no one's going to read. 
And he said, okay, you still have to write the report, but let's also do the video. And so I wrote the report and no one read it. Um, but we made this video. I spent my entire 2L year, Brooke, I'm sure you remember, like learning how to edit. And I you know, made, it was like an hour long documentary, but carved up into like 10 different little chapters. Yeah. And we used them to essentially scare the opposing parties in the case. It's like the attorney general of Lagos to say, hey, we're going to release this to the you know, news media if you don't settle. And it worked. Like they were just like really scared. <laughs> it worked really well. And so then I just kind of took, it took that. Um, incidentally, I, I mean, th this case still is going on. I mean, 20 some years later and the case was 10 years old when I got there. Um, but, you know, we had some limited success at that point. So then I, you know, I took that, this whole video idea with me to a Skadden fellowship, which I did after, um, after law school at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. And part of my fellowship was to kind of use video to, I forgot the grandiose language they used to like win otherwise unwinnable cases, something like that. <laughs> um, and we were, we were in the same, were we in the same Scadden class? We were, yeah, weren't we? we were. Yeah. Oh man, oh, a long time ago now, bro. Because well, I anyway. remember I stayed an extra year to do the grad program. So we wound up leaving law school at the same That's time. That's right. We kind of yeah. graduated at the same time. Yeah. So, so I was, so, you know, I, I was at lawyers committee and, you know, we did a bunch of interesting things. We, just for using video and trying to find creative ways to use it, including like in one case, we actually use it to, to pressure settlement in a big employment case. This is a case that involved like a whites only bathroom. It was one of those cases that was like, I remember extreme. your work on this. Yeah. yeah, it was wild, but you know, but the defendant was, they were, you know, there was a big firm and they were putting up a real fight, but the, the witnesses just said like crazy stuff in their deposition. So we just took the deposition videos, edited them into a very um, simple, it was just a kind of, nicely organized set of their bad admissions really and then we just showed it to him in, in the mediation and the mediator said oh my god you guys you, ha you have to show this to your client and we moved a settlement offer you know up to seven figures um from like a tiny offer really really quickly so this was working right however looking back the most interesting thing we did was when katrina katrina happened right after i started my fellowship right so so we started using video in a really simple way to educate survivors of Katrina on their legal rights. We, we, we flew down there to Mississippi to work at the Mississippi center for justice on like, you know, how just like this emergency response. It was crazy. I mean, there were lawyers literally like we actually our my office as part of my skin fellowship. I worked with them also. On it was oh, MCJ. Yeah. They were, yeah. I mean, this one lawyer, Riley Morris, I and mean, he, I think he was the ED for a while. I, I think he no longer is. It's incredibly to my mind, like really heroic lawyer. I mean, he like, he literally went to like the ruins of his office and in Gulfport, Mississippi, and like opened up his laptop and like hooked it up in this really rudimentary early, like tethering kind of thing to the internet. And people would show up and he just sat there outside. I mean, it was, he had like an umbrella to prevent the rain. It was wild. Anyway, nothing mind blowing here. We just made videos, right? To like educate folks on how do you access FEMA benefits? And suddenly instead of having say 20,000 individual meetings, we could show people videos like literally on a TV and a in a gym or a community center where you're hanging out. So that in many ways, that was the genesis of the work that I'm doing with briefly now. Anyway, so, well, I'm really giving the long version, Brooke. M moving forward, um, I did spend a couple of years moving at a forward firm. 15 years. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we'll move a little faster now. We, we um, I, I did go to a firm for a couple of years, which I have to say was a really tremendously valuable experience, especially now that our organization is selling into law firms. Um, it was, it was really valuable for a whole variety of reasons, you know, as a social entrepreneur, but they were really great at letting me pursue these kind of innovative ideas about, you know, how to use video more effectively in litigation. 
And then when the financial crisis hit, um, we're kind of dried up. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go kind of do what I really wanted to do, which is start an organization or a company that focuses on helping public interest lawyers and human rights lawyers use video in a more um, in a more professional way to win their cases. So I founded my first enterprise, which is called the New Media Advocacy Project, or NMAP, which is... Um, it's still going, and I don't know. I don't know if what we're doing is called new media anymore. <laughs> the name, no, the name didn't funny, age well. Right? Yeah, at the <laughs> um, time, though, <laughs> uh, though it's changed a lot yeah. over the years. But but early on, we were just focused on helping lawyers use the stories of their clients to win cases, and so we were doing a mix of like of uh, litigation, so like introducing videos as evidence in various international courts, mm-hmm. um, some public policy advocacy, like pressuring opponents. Um, the biggest victory there was in the the big Haiti um, Haiti cholera case. We work with um, a bunch of Haitian human rights lawyers, the uh, IJWH and the BAI, the two organizations, um, to sort of put pressure on the UN. Essentially, inadvertently um, or negligently introduced cholera into the Artibonite River system mm-hmm. in Haiti, and it resulted in this huge epidemic and a lot of people dying. And it's the UN, right? So yeah. like it was it was a very interesting. The UN are supposed to be the good guys, right? Yeah. So it was a pretty interesting. Um, advocacy campaign. So we made all these really great videos, usually putting Haitian survivors at the front and center. Um, it was really successful. Like I, the, the IJDH, our client, um, you know, has attributed these videos to a huge part of the reason why they were successful in getting a settlement for these, um, you know, these survivors of the cholera epidemic. One thing I love about everything that you're explaining so far and and why, why I really wanted to start with this journey is because a lot of, and you know this, you know, from your work in the law, a lot of social justice work, social impact work, community lawyering um, can center the experts, right? We walk into a room, we have these law degrees, we have these tools, and everybody's eyes turn to us and say, okay, how are, how are you going to solve this problem? And what I love about your work and video in particular and how you've used video is that it centers in a real way, not just in a sort of, oh, we're centering the lived experiences of people. It actually keeps impacted people, not just front and center in the stories, but in the efforts to bring about change. And I think that's something that's really powerful about video and how you've used storytelling. Yeah, I know that's really true. Um, it was always kind of obvious to me. I don't know why, maybe it being the grandchild of Holocaust survivors or, or something that, you know, these people who were the survivors of these or experienced these horrible things. I don't know. They just had a lot to say. And it was much more interesting hearing from them than, you know, yeah. than, than an expert. Yeah. Yeah. Um, experts are interesting too, but, you know, just to get really personal here for a minute, I, um, you know, I, I experienced pretty significant trauma symptoms after doing this work, like editing, mm-hmm. I, I kind of barreled into this work, not really thinking about that this could be an issue, right? But you know, within a couple of years, I've been seeing and witnessing a lot of horrible stuff and like editing videos about, you know, gender-based violence, forced evictions, prison conditions, a lot of like torture situations, forced yeah. disappearances, you know, it kind of, I should have really predicted this could have an impact, but, but anyway, later on when kind of agonizing over this, um, you know, I was convinced by various people, including colleagues, my wonderful wife and a wonderful therapist, that just the mere fact of kind of bearing witness yeah. and hearing these stories and then sort of delivering these stories um, has meaning. 
Yeah. You know, even if it's just in that, I know this is like, I could see a lot of critiques of this, right? It's like cold comfort. The folks need help. They don't need to have, you know, have their story on some dude's video. Right. That's true. But still, there is a real value to just, you know, hearing stories, listening to stories, highlighting stories, and putting these people to whatever extent possible at the front and center of these campaigns. So that, I think that is really critical. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But very different from what Briefly is doing. <laughs> but, but, yeah, uh, but, but in, a, in an interesting way, um, and you can tell us what Briefly does and how it uses video, but this idea of using video um, to cut through the noise, right? To take something that can be complex or very esoteric or sort of, you know, within the purview of the lawyers and the experts and actually turning it into something that anybody can understand and use um, is different than bearing witness and, and telling stories, but it is still using video to um, almost make, to, to, um, to even the playing field between the experts and the people who need the information to actually make their lives better. Yeah, you know, I wonder this is going to be a bit of a crazy analogy, but I, it makes you think of like streaming and why streaming is so popular. Hmm. Like, you know, like YouTubers and Twitch. I think a lot about these platforms. We're trying to get people to watch stuff and <laughs> people are watching Twitch in huge numbers. They're watching like random YouTubers in huge numbers or like, and I don't know much about TikTok. I know more about the other platforms, but it, you know, it, it kind of lets anyone with a bit of charisma and some kind of vision kind of become a star, right? All the old gatekeepers are sort of gone, right? And yeah. I think that's interesting, right? There's this, I think what's compelling about the stories that we told at NMAP, like when I go back and look at this stuff, I like looking at the raw interview footage because you're just, just seeing these people and all their authenticity. And I think the best streamers you know, whatever you, you have someone who's like a great streamer on fly fishing or whatever, you know, the, the people who rise to the top are the people who are just really authentic and, and they might not even be that polished. Um, and I think that kind of authenticity is really appealing to people. It made our work at NMAP, I think, really powerful. Um, yeah. And it's really the story of how, of a lot of successful media, you know, in 2022. I think that's right. Yeah. And you mentioned gatekeepers. I mean, I think that's what I was <laughs> not quite so articulately trying to get at with the link between sort of your professional journey and and briefly and what you're doing now is that in a different context, you are removing this gatekeeping aspect of the law. Ooh, I like how you did that. That was good. Yes, that's true. We are doing that. Oh, good. Okay. You can um, you're, feel free to use that. <laughs> so why don't you tell us about briefly? Yeah. So, you know, at NMAP, we, we, I ran NMAP for well, seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. You know, we grew to a pretty substantial size in that time and, you know, grew and shrunk quite a bit because we were funded mostly by, by big foundations and, and um, a lot of the funding was pretty volatile, which was one of the reasons why I decided to start a for-profit to try to, you know, have a more pr provide, real value to customers and, and have a more consistent revenue stream and do things in a more sustainable way. But in any event, we just got really, really good at explaining these arcane legal issues in these short videos, or whether we were using, you know, a, a survivor's testimony to do it, or just explaining it ourselves. We just got really good at explaining this stuff because we had to do it really short form, right? We were kind of, yeah. you know, we, we literally had, you know, videos, we were kind of running, 
running around to clerk's offices at various international courts, like throwing CDs at DVDs at them to get them to watch things really quickly. Like we were. And they're not going to watch a 45 minute training (laughs) video on some aspect of the law. Yeah. Things needed to be short. We need to explain these these complex concepts and illustrate them with examples. So we just got really good at that. And I got really good actually critically at putting together the creative teams to do this efficiently and affordably and well, right? And we developed an amazing talent pipeline. Actually, that skill of being able to find those people to even know what you need to hire for, that's been really, really critical. And it's it's I think it's served it's served me and and our our customers really, really well because we have this an incredible world of talent out there uh, to do this sort of thing. So anyway, we got, so we developed the superpower, right? I call it our superpower, being able to explain arcane, boring, scary legal topics in this really engaging short way, right? So knowing I needed to leave NMAP for a variety of reasons, travel was crazy. You know, like I mentioned some of the impact of all this tough work. I don't know how people do it for decades upon decades. They do. I I didn't, um, I didn't, I suppose, have what it took, but they, um, but so I just took this superpower and built a new company out of it called Briefly. And so in a way, what we're trying to do is take that skill to scale. The legal profession, I think, and I think most people will agree, most lawyers and, and others, um, and non-lawyers, hang on, I'm going to stop here. I love, Are there any other professions that actually talk about non-that profession? Like do doctors talk about non-doctors? Oh, uh, do accountants my talk friends about who are doctors, I think it's, there's something, and you and I have talked a lot about this. There's, it's part of the othering, right? It's this idea of like, there are people who have the expertise and the non-experts. Um, and I think it's something interesting. No, I don't know. I just feel like lawyers do it. A non-lawyer is like a thing people say. Which non- makes it sort of makes me crazy a little bit. <laughs> like, is there like a non-vet? Are you a different non-vet? I don't know. <laughs> That's like, true, anyway, right? It's just a weird thing to like say. Non-accountants, so, maybe. Non-accountants. I think accountants maybe talk, say non-accountants. Non-accountants. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. So <laughs> anyway, um, so, right. So the legal profession has a real problem. <laughs> it doesn't communicate very well what it does, right? It doesn't communicate. People don't know what lawyers do. And legal language is like intentionally obtuse. And I think still a lot of a lot of lawyers think that's a good thing, right? Or maybe subconsciously they have a because it's a cartel, right? I mean, it literally is. You have to pass this ridiculous test. It doesn't really make any sense, like the state by state test. That's lawyers great. specialize in subject areas and pr- practice areas. They don't specialize in a state. Yet the thing that gets you, it's a it's all honestly, it's kind that. of it's a it's cartel. Kind of a joke, yep. Right. So <laughs> it's like, a racket. but it's a right. Yeah. It's a cartel, right. And you need to be in the club and then, and you, it's, it's like, it's like, literally it's a crime to <laughs> say you're a lawyer, to do this thing. It's so true. If you're not a lawyer, that's nuts in my opinion. Yes. Right. Okay. So that's really, so there's a, but, but look, I don't know. I think lawyers think it's a good thing. They're like, well, we, it's, it's somehow going to protect our market. And I actually think that's really not true. I think the legal profession would be much better served to people actually understood law understood and the law yes yeah and, and knew what lawyers did and it would make lawyers lives a lot easier and so that is what briefly is trying to do right you know it kind of came out of a lot a lot of things like one is just observing you know we work with a lot of public interest lawyers and they were really great really great advocates many of them are great trial advocates really great at speaking in person but the way they communicated online was often really abysmal and so that's kind of where we started right i started doing not everyone, actually. There are plenty of great communicators out there. You know, we, we don't have a monopoly on it. But as a trend, I, I noticed, wow, this is like, especially courts, actually, like court websites, just like take a few minutes and just Google around state courts. It's it's pretty grim. And they serve a really important public education function. But yeah. man, so we, um, 
So we started just me, me and a couple of colleagues started doing um, just like short explainer videos for legal aid organizations and courts to, um, you know, just to kind of help them educate the public and engage the public on, on legal issues, kind of as an experiment. So let's see, the very first project we did actually we were, it was still at NMAP. We were asked by um, our colleagues at the Ferrick Center for Social Justice, uh, Dora Galakatos, the brilliant Dora Galakatos and others to help them. Actually, this is kind of, I, I, it was really forward looking at, this is way back in like, I don't know, 2012 or something to help them essentially deal with this like massive wave of um, consumer debt cases that were going on, like debt collection cases going on in New York yes, City, right? So there that. were just mm-hmm. hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of these debt collection, you know, you have like a yes. third party debt buyer would go buy a bunch of debts from old, I mean, everywhere you could imagine, like obviously credit cards is the biggest one, but you know, they were buying debts up from old gym memberships or like my favorite was video yes. stores. Remember those? I do. Remember video stores? Yes. There were debt collectors who would go buy those debts for like a couple pennies in the dollar and they just go sue everyone. Yeah. Anyway, there were just way too many clients for the system to handle. And so the, the thing is, if you, if you um, actually answer your complaint in those cases, like you win usually because the, 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 it's not efficient for these debt collectors to like litigate those cases. They just want to like, get their default judgments, right? Which is where the where the defendant doesn't show up and they just collect the money automatically and they can they can garnish their wages, they can get the money. The minute the 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 the, the defendants like answers the complaint, like usually the cases drop. So the goal they asked us to make a bunch of videos on consumer debt defense to help get information to these these folks before they got into trouble. It was a real mixed success, I would say. And 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 I think one of the biggest insights into our work now is that the videos themselves, we made like nine videos, short two to three minute videos, animated videos, explaining every step in this process. What we didn't invest in was actually the distribution, right? The videos were kind of, yeah. we're, we're, we're sitting around in these, um, these, uh, these sort of self-help centers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be watched when people came to the self-help center. And we actually had a couple of staff members. We had funding for a couple of months of them working on distribution. While they were working on it, things went really well. The minute we ran out of money, they stopped going well. So distribution of these things is critically important mm-hmm. um, if you're going to actually scale this kind of legal information. So anyway, those are some lessons. But that's how it got started. Consumer debt videos, huge audience, huge number of cases, huge need to scale what lawyers are doing. And then it grew from there. We were asked by the New York courts to produce um, some videos to support their small claims court, also overwhelmed, and um, and their new online dispute resolution system, which they're trying to trying to use to help kind of take some burden off the court. Um, and and just more and more legal aids, particularly Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles, then South Carolina Legal Services. Uh, we've done dozens of videos with South Carolina Legal Services. They we, we produced a, a bunch of animations with them, really kind of goofy animations with a character. It's really just a walking, kind of like a walking hot dog with arms and legs. Um, so, but they na- they named this character Clark. I don't know why. I think Clark is genderless, but they named him Clark, I guess. And 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 Clark has starred in many videos, including some really innovative ones, like one um, designed to educate survivors of domestic violence how to. Um, provide testimony in their protective order hearings, right? And it's actually a funny video with with sort of um, includes some like solidarity humor about trying to kind of get folks to think in a more, a more light way about this really scary thing they have to do. And it's worked incredibly well. Um, you know, one thing that I, so I'm <clears throat> sort of noting in my head 
all of the different applications for what you're talking about, sort of taking boring or scary or sort of obtuse or complex legal topics and making them make sense. I mean, one of the groups that you talked about working with are organizations that do legal work, right? Legal aid, and that's, you know, sort of your background is in legal services organizations. But it also strikes me that there are so many organizations, many that I work with, whose constituents have issues that implicate their rights, but these are not legal services organizations. And I would imagine that having video content or having engaging content that they can provide to educate their constituents in the communities that they work with so that they don't have to have lawyers on staff. I would imagine that is also very powerful. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's not, and it's not, I think it goes beyond law. We're focused on law now, but this is going to scale beyond just law. Mm-hmm. So he, let me tell you some of the things people are doing with these videos. It's really, really interesting. So, so well, let me just take a step back. So we, so we produce these custom videos. That's the first thing we do, right? And this is, like I said, legal aid organizations, courts, but increasingly other kinds of lawyers law firms, other legal organizations, et cetera. Then we, the next thing we do is we have a training program called Briefly Now, where we train right now lawyers and other legal professionals, not to be a lawyer, but someone who works at a legal organization, we train them to become better content creators themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, custom video work is really expensive. A lot of people are doing great stuff on their own. We can help them really, really quickly move it up a notch. And that's what Briefly Now is all about. I actually think of it as like filling the gap. Like lawyers aren't trained to do this at all. We're not trained to not communicate at online at all. Yeah. Like lawyers presentations- we're trained to communicate like lots of bullet points, lots of words, very like specific and it's boring. And yeah, it's specific. It's, yeah. yeah, it can be boring. Exactly. Well, they're, they're, we're trained to speak in a kind of professional language that's, you know, designed to speak to other professionals. You have to unlearn that stuff to become a good content creator. And that's what our Briefly Now program teaches. So we did this last year as a pilot, and now we're, we kind of launched it for real this year. It's, it's, we're trying to scale it much, much bigger. Um, and it's working really well, and, and people really love it. But the, the stuff that, and this will be a great segue into the, our third product, actually, mm-hmm. is, is we found that people are using this. My initial vision for this was, hey, let's like educate the public about legal issues. But actually, people are using it for all kinds of operational benefits as well. Like, yes. you know, lawyers have, and actually all professionals, they have the same conversation over and over again. Right. And you have it once on the phone with your client and then your client goes away. It's just so much more effective, not in every case, but in most cases to have some amazing content about those common questions you can use because you can send it to your client and they can watch it and you can then save your meeting for like individualized questions. You can scale what you do. So we started talking to a bunch of trademark lawyers about uh, because you were kind of investigating other other areas of law. And oh no, initially what happened was I realized we, we, we made the same video like six or seven times. We kept being asked to make videos on housing repairs by these legal aid organizations. I thought this is kind of like a little nuts. I'm like charging all this money with kind of bad margins for us, a lot of money for them to make the same video in these different styles. They don't need some kind of unique, fancy style. They just need good information. What if I can make a library of videos that, um, you know, were on the most common questions that folks yeah. could license and then, you know, much, much cheaper and then kind of used for all kinds of purposes. And so then that's how our third product was born, which is called, well, tentatively called Briefly On Demand. We might be changing the name. We'll see. <laughs> briefly Now and Briefly On Demand sound a little similar. Sound very it. similar, yeah. I know. It's kind of <laughs> anyway, naming products that don't exist yet is like kind of an art <laughs> anyway. So so, uh, so Briefly On Demand, where was I? Oh, trademark lawyers, right. So the Right. So these trademark, so a lot of these trademark lawyers, but they don't, they don't bill by the hour. They, they bill by the matter, right? They're charging X thousand dollars to register a trademark or whatever. So, 
you know, they get, they have to answer the, the same questions over and over again. They're not getting paid for that time. And even, even like lawyers, I've talked to a lot of lawyers that are working with startups and they get asked basic questions like what's the difference between a 1099 and a W2 or something like that. Absolutely. And they don't, they have to answer that question. They don't tend to bill that time because they're billing a thousand dollars an hour. It's kind of, some will bill that time, some won't, but um, you know, if they can have this, have great content uh, and just use it over and over again, it'll say, it just saves a huge amount of time. So we're seeing a lot of this. Oh, in the trademark context, right? You have like, we did a prototype video. What is trademark versus copyright? 90 seconds long, the trademark lawyers can license white label and then send around to answer that question. So that's our third product, Briefly On Demand. So these video libraries, the prototype we're launching, or really minimum viable product we're launching, hopefully the end of March. So wow, that's in that's in four and a half weeks. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> is uh, we're launching three libraries, one on trademark, as I mentioned, one on data privacy. So this is the GDPR and the California law, the CCPA, and contracts. Three libraries, about 15 to 20 videos each that can be white labeled and then used. So those are our three offerings. We've got custom legal videos, training, uh, and then um, these, these video libraries uh, we're building now. And yeah, like you said, Brooke, all, all of these things can be used by lawyers and non-lawyers to just solve this really kind of common problem. How do I explain important but arcane information clearly in a way that people will understand? It's Absolutely. that simple. I mean, I cannot tell you how many questions I get from executive directors, either founders like we were, or and or people who are new to the role of being an executive director and they step into, you know, an already existing organization and they panic and they're like, I don't know anything about HR law. I don't know anything about nonprofit compliance. I don't know anything about contracts. Well, they don't, <laughs> don't know they have to even do compliance. And so exactly, then... <laughs> you know, they, they get questions from their board, from their staff about things that they that are legal issues. They're not complex legal issues, but most of them think they have to talk to a lawyer and how amazing if it's, if the information is sort of democratized, right. Um, and available in some way that both educates the leaders and provides them content. And that's above and beyond, you know, some of the content um, issues that we were talking about for organizations that really don't do legal work, but whose constituents, you know, domestic violence, housing, um, you know, I, I know are some of the things you focused on. Yeah, I think like one of the, the problems for for founders is, you know, they have to fill all these roles at once, right? And so a lot of these folks, I mean, when I was a founder, I mean, I was a lawyer, right? But I didn't know. I mean, I got hit with that that uh, workers' comp fine. Me like too. Everyone yes, does, and I right? called you. So like, you know, the, yes. there's, well, that's the thing about being a lawyer is I wasn't a nonprofit lawyer. Like you aren't just like a lawyer who knows all law, <laughs> you know, like well, there's certain... apparently you were, you passed the New York bar, right? No, I, so you're... I guess so. <laughs> you're supposed to know everything about every aspect of New York law. <laughs> but like, I, so, so the, the things that we're trying to do for, so we actually are, so we have these video libraries, we're, we're licensing to lawyers, right? The idea was that a lawyer would be willing to pay for this to license to their clients. And we're also putting together packages for founders, right? Right now for for-profit founders, but eventually for nonprofit founders as well. And the idea is to help them understand what they don't know so they can deal with these problems beforehand, but also do it quickly. So the average video length is 90 seconds, right? Absolutely. I want 
I want someone, and we're, do, and we're doing PDFs as well, right? So it's, it's actually, we're going to do a beautifully designed PDF and a beautifully designed slide deck if you want to kind of give a presentation and these short videos. So you can have really crystal clear information in 90 seconds. And that's all we usually need for most of these things, at least to, you know, help someone understand there's an issue, <laughs> which is the most critical, that's the most critical piece. Do you also still have the content that you created about things like housing and consumer debt and domestic violence? What happens to those videos once you create them? Yeah, that's a great question. So those are mostly done work for hire. So they are just created. We're like a production studio. So we've made those for our clients. So we still have them in a library. We have the right to use them, you know, to market our work, but they're owned by our clients. Though most of our clients, those clients are like legal aid organizations and courts. And except for a few who have developed a really strong brand identity out of our work, they're very much willing to share them. So we have kind of have this incredible library. Yeah. Um, of God, probably three, 400 videos at this point um, that we don't really know what to do with. So this is something that's on our mind all the time. How can we kind of extract more value out of those, out of those videos? You know, some of them are very, are very specific. They're very state, very state specific, but it is an interesting, there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff sitting there. Yeah, there really is. And, you know, you mentioned the first sort of offering that you have is working with institutions um, to create their own sort of um, video and content with you, um, which is, I guess, the most uh, <laughs> the most labor intensive way to work with you guys. Um, that's a good, uh, you know, I'm not sure it is. I mean, not necessarily. Right. So. I think a really good custom project will be very labor intensive. They're much more expensive. They do require a lot of staff time. You know, our training, it's kind of designed, it, the whole thing is built around being able to jump in and make content quickly. So in addition to the training, so what it, what it includes is monthly training sessions, hour long, it's the one time we break from our briefly brand, hour long live <laughs> trainings. And we have office hour sessions, which are like group, these group coaching. I know you do some group coaching too, Brooke kind of like group coaching sessions. Everyone can jump in. You can ask questions about your content. We can kind of workshop an issue, look at data, whatever you need to do, go over a strategy. But we also have libraries of visual assets that we are, we've made and are constantly wow. growing. So it's sort of like, it's like really classy clip art, frankly, um, yeah. but also template slides, template like client updates or fact sheets, to-do lists. And you can get those white labeled if you want in your own brand, or you just kind of use them as they are. So the idea is you can get started on day one chucking that stuff into your content, it doesn't need to take a ton of time, you know? And in fact, yeah. it, in many ways, the position of our trend, if I, if I was to pitch anything to your audience it would be briefly now, whether you're a lawyer or not, like you just, if you have anything complex to, to um, you need to present and develop that skill set, um, that's what briefly now does. And so you don't need, need to spend a huge amount of time on it. In fact, that's, you need to spend some time on it. Obviously yeah. you're making content, but I think people spend way too much time in the first instance making stuff. You need to like kind of get my business partner Scott is a former game developer and uh, and, and a, an amazing animator. He always says, "Just make something that doesn't suck." Yeah, <laughs> that's the doesn't suck standard. Then get it out there and rely on data to see if it's working. Right. So actually, people spend too they, they spend too much labor on this. They should spend less labor and, and do that more often uh, to get more to just get more data and more feedback. So that's kind of what we do with Briefly now. It's an hour a month. Yeah. There's a video library you can watch. You can look at all the archive trainings and just get out there and start making making content, you know, as a busy professional. So if folks wanted to 
join briefly now, learn more about what you guys do, check out the various assets that you have, ask questions about content, see if maybe they'd want to work with you. Where can they go to learn more? Right. So our website, so this is like the startup thing. We're like constantly, it's like, I can't keep up with how our products change. You can find us at brieflynow.com. Um, you can also just email me at adam at brieflynow.com. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So you can find me and us um, on on LinkedIn. Uh, and yeah, those are the ways to get us. Go to the website, ping me on LinkedIn, uh, send an email. And if you're interested in Briefly Now, yeah, please do let us know. It's really a blast. And, you know, we're, we're very... We're just trying to sign people up. So we're very, very flexible on how we you know, we deal with pricing. There's monthly pricing, there's group pricing, all kind of great nonprofit discounts, lots of ways to get involved. So yeah, I hope you check us out and, and um, yeah, take a closer look. So the last thing I'm going to ask is, and I, you sort of answered this a little bit with the just don't suck <laughs> um, or create something <laughs> that doesn't suck, I think is actually <laughs> what Scott said. Exactly. Um, what is one piece of advice about using content to sort of explain scary legal things that you would give to listeners? Uh, okay, I'm going to cheat and give you two bits of advice. Okay. <laughs> Number one is don't underestimate how don't underestimate yourself as a, as a, as a central piece of your video, right? I think there's a kind of distaste for talking heads and a, a sort of, um, you know, they're a bit out of fashion, but when you look at like what, what works, like I mentioned before on, on really popular platforms like YouTube and TikTok and Twitch, like if you can work on your own presentation style, you're going to be the most compelling thing much. Don't worry about the slide deck or whatever Like you are going to fancy animation. Just, yeah. Do. Like, just yeah. you is really, and our data bears us out. And that's a great segue into the next, my next bit of advice is don't, don't rely on what, if you're trying to, whether it's for marketing and sales or for, or for thought leadership or whatever you're trying to do or for persuasion, you need to use data to understand if what you're doing is working. Like it doesn't matter if you like it or your, your wife likes it or your best friend likes it. Like it doesn't, or like someone hates it. Don't worry about that. Like, or if you hate it, or if you think your voice sucks, everyone thinks that don't try to like find a way to get some data to get all that subjective stuff out of the picture. You, you want to use this subjective as a start. You, know, you got to do things you like, right? So if you're going to have a logo or a brand or a slide deck or a style you work with, go with something you like looking at all the time. But, but you know, from there, try to rely on something objective uh, to the extent possible. I love those pieces of advice. Thank you so much. It was really great. I mean, I've, you know, heard your life story. I was, I've been part of it for 20 years. It's always oh, yeah. great to hear it. Could do this uh, for hours. I wish we had two more hours. I know. For your audience, but you know, I would just keep talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. And it's really, um, it's really awesome what you're doing. You know, I think video, I think content, I think finding ways to help leaders, to help lawyers, to help people who are trying to, um, to get information into the hands of other people to actually bring about change, finding ways to do that easily is really powerful. So thank you so much for sharing. Great, great. Thanks so much, Brooke. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. 
If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training that's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, the four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. Finally, if you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadership forward 321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.